stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, the context of trade negotiations, international trade strife, potential trade wars, I think we need to remember a simple truth here. I mean, tariffs are taxes. Or as it's put on a T-shirt that you can buy right now via Amazon, tariffs not only impose immense economic costs, but also fail to achieve their primary policy aims and foster political dysfunction along the way. How's that for a slogan? And yeah, you legitimately can buy that T-shirt right now on on Amazon. So I mean, the appeal of having trade accords and reducing trade barriers is that we're reducing costs. We're, we're allowing goods to flow and it benefits businesses and it benefits consumers. To me, that's what we should strive for. But it becomes very easy to look at certain narrow segments of the economy and, and make a case for protecting them. And that's what, for example, U.S. President Donald Trump is doing right now with the steel industry. We need to protect that industry. We need to protect jobs in that industry. And as the economist Milton Friedman put it, it's very visible. Those people, those jobs, those companies, what are not visible are all of those jobs that wouldn't exist or won't exist as a result of this kind of protectionist action. It has all kinds of impacts elsewhere in the economy. So uh, the U.S. is guilty of it at the moment, although it appears as though those tariffs won't apply to Canada and Mexico for now. But we do it, too. We, for a very long time, for example, have had in place what's known as supply management, high tariffs, production quotas, uh, all kinds of protectionist policies aimed at protecting dairy and poultry. Now, it's interesting because other sectors of the ag economy don't have that kind of protection. We don't put those same kind of tariffs in place. And those industries do well. And in fact, they do well globally. And these new trade agreements like the TPP will open up new markets for those sectors. For whatever reason, we don't take the same approach uh, to dairy. And essentially, then Canadians pay a dairy tax as a result of this. And the tariffs run as high as 300% on butter, for example. So we do the same thing. So is there an opportunity in NAFTA renegotiations to put this on the table as kind of a win-win here? The Americans don't like the barriers that supply management puts up, and Canadians shouldn't like it either because we're the ones who end up paying the dairy tax. Well, a new study out today from the uh, School of Public Policy of the University of Calgary takes a look at this specific question. Is this something that should be sacrificed to get a NAFTA deal done? And would that be good for Canadians? Joining us on the line to talk more about it is the uh, co-author of this new paper. Eugene Beaulieu is a, a professor of economics at the University of Calgary and with the School of Public Policy as well, policyschool.ca. Eugene, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great introduction and in in your preamble. I really uh, really enjoyed hearing that. I want to get one of those T-shirts. Yeah, you should. It's uh, they're, they're becoming quite popular, interestingly <laughs> enough. And uh, I, I forget the organization, but it's uh, raising money for uh, for an organization. Uh, let me give you an opportunity, first of all, to, to explain in a little bit more detail how supply management works. Oh, good question. So um, just, uh, I mean, for about 40 years now, we've had in place, or over 40 years, uh, it's really a quota system. So in order to sell dairy in Canada, you need to own quotas. And uh, these quotas have become actually very expensive. Um, in order to allow, so basically it's a closed domestic market, uh, Canadian producers sell within Canada, and you have to have quotas to sell. Um, and to protect that 
domestic supply management um, sector, we have massive tariffs and quotas on imports of dairy, uh, which allows that, that to operate. And, and what happens, of course, is that it's, it is very expensive. We have very expensive uh, dairy in Canada. Um, part of the reason is because of the protection. As you mentioned, up to 300% tariffs on some of the product that is allowed into Canada. Um, but also the industry itself has become fairly uh, un- unproductive and, and more costly. It's a, it's a more costly industry um, compared to inter- on international comparisons or, um, you know, if you compare even our, our, the other agriculture, the rest of the agricultural sector in Canada, we, it used to be more restricted. It used to be, it wasn't exactly supply management, but they had the crow rate that sort of uh, subsidized moving grain to port, and they had the Canadian Wheat Board, and, and those were removed, and, and uh, uh, the industry prospered. The, the agricultural sector in Canada prospered, and, and uh, you know, in fact, our dairy industry, it's really a shame how, how unproductive we are in a, in a world where Canada agriculture is, is at the leading edge of production and where the, you know, the underperformance in dairy is just stunning, giving our strength in other agricultural sectors. And I think the big difference is the supply management that uh, we have in dairy. Yeah, it's interesting. When, the, um, when Canada signed on to the new TPP, to see the, the different reactions, the beef industry celebrating this. This is great. It's going to open up new markets. The grain industry, Mm -hmm. same thing. This is going to open up new markets. But the dairy industry, horrified at the prospect that we would uh, even slightly... I mean, we're not throwing out supply management just yet, but even some small right. modifications, uh, that, that provoked quite the uh, negative response. Yeah, you're right. We had a 3% increase, or 3.2% or something uh, increase. Uh, we, we would increase our imports by about 3%, to about 3% of our production. So very small numbers, very small opening, and it, and it did elicit a very strong negative response, even though... At the time, the, it was the Conservative government in power that that signed or that negotiated and signed the uh, TPP initially. Um, they also offered compensation to dairy producers who were going to be adversely affected by that change in policy. But you're right; it wasn't a complete opening. Um, I mean, I would actually advocate for uh, going even further, and certainly, I, you know. Politically, it's very difficult. You, you made a really good point that it's visible that, you know, the, uh, the dairy sector is visible. They're active lobbyists, and, and no federal government has, has had the, the political will or, or ability to sort of move forward on what is clearly, from an economic standpoint, the right thing to do. It's right for Canadian consumers. I think what's different about our report and, and what's important about it is it also points out that in the long run, it's better for the Canadian dairy industry. As you mentioned, beef is excited to get access to other markets. Our dairy producers, if we actually included them in these agreements and opened up our sector, they would become more productive. They would actually be able to export and have access to export markets. Um, the, the challenge, of course, is the short-run visible nature of of the impact it would have. There would be a transition, but we've seen that before in other industries that have had have been forced to compete. Um, but the longer run productivity improvements and, and those kinds of things are less visible. And um, it, it, so in the paper, we argue that the industry would be stronger, better. It would be at a, a, at a level of competitiveness equal to New Zealand and Australia and even the United States. Um, and, and right now we're stuck in this world where our producers are small, they're not very productive, and they're selling to a very small market. And that's part of the problem.
Yeah, New Zealand's such an interesting example. I mean, they're, they're a real powerhouse when it comes to dairy exports for, for such a small country. Yeah, and they, they, they had a similar type of um, system. But back in the 80s, New Zealand actually overall recognized that, you know, as a small economy, they wanted to participate more in the world in the world economy. So they, they, they changed their uh, dairy system in the 80s, and so they're clearly a leader. But, you, you know, you look at sort of metrics of productivity or, or output and look at the success they have on the, on, on the global uh, front. Um, you know, they're selling to the world. They're probably the best uh, suppliers of dairy in the world. And they have, some, they have some, you know, unique features and climate and things like that. But they also have a system that promotes exports and that, that uh, acknowledges that industry will be better off if it's, if it's opened up. Uh, Australia went a similar route uh, more recently. They, they liberalized their dairy sector in, the, in, the, in 2000. So we have, um, we have enough time to see those two countries really develop a world-class dairy sector out of one that, was, that looked a lot like Canada did uh, before they uh, opened up their sector. How is it that we're, we're able to maintain supply management under the existing uh, North American Free Trade Agreement? Well, what we've done is kept it out of the North American Free Trade Agreement, so it's not part of it. And, and um, you know, it is something – so we do get, uh, you know, the WTO – comments on it. Uh, we've kept it outside of these, these agreements. Uh, we, as you mentioned, we brought it into the Trans-Pacific Partnership a little bit. Uh, we we uh, increased some access there. And that was, you know, again, it was a condition for us to join the negotiations. Uh, New Zealand, don't forget New Zealand and, and Australia are in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and so is the U.S., or they were at the time. So initially, there was a lot of pressure on Canada to do something. So they actually finally brought something to the table, very reluctantly, but did bring some to the table and opened it a little bit. In the same with the European uh, on our our CETA, our European agreement, uh, we have opened up dairy a little bit. Mostly that'll come in the form of cheese, uh, but we've opened that market just a tiny little bit. So we're talking about two to three percent of the Canadian industry um, uh, will be imports from from Europe. Uh, very small percentages. I think we need to go further. I think we and I think this is an opportunity to give the Americans something at the table that they really want. Um, and, um, you know, these negotiations are not, they're not a zero-sum game, as, as the president might have us uh, believe. Um, they are a negotiation, and it's a give and take. Um, supply management is one of the things that Canada said we're not going to touch, and I think that's a good opening uh, uh, negotiation point. But from, from now, I think it's time to bring something creative to the table, something substantive on supply management. And I think in terms of NAFTA, that will allow us to get a deal that is actually better for Canada. We can keep our dispute settlement that is so important. And we offer something like supply management, which is something they want, but will also benefit our consumers. And uh, as we argue in the paper, will benefit the industry in the long run as well. I guess we got to pretend that we <laughs> yeah. that we're sad. Yeah. We're, we're reluctantly putting yeah. this on the table, so yeah. it seems like uh, quite a sacrifice. But no, it would be a, a real win-win, and it could be a game changer in the negotiations. I think that's the idea. You're right. 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 That's right. Um, we want to move it forward. Well, actually, so you know, uh, when the U.S. came out with their objectives, there were there were about five things that Canada had said. You know, these are these are non-starters for us. They're across a red line, and one of them was rules of origins on autos and. The U.S. wants to increase the North American content of autos, and you know it really is a it is a the U.S. 
approach is very protectionist. It's very mercantilist in nature. Their whole, their whole, uh, their rhetoric on the negotiations and their, and their, their objectives, their stated objectives. And, and so on the rules of origin, they want to increase North American content, which is really kind of a protectionist move. And Canada said, no, absolutely not. But more recently, they've come to the table with some creative solutions on how we can increase that North American content. Because if you count things like intellectual property and development and, and R&D in that sector, we get up to the 80, 85% North American content quickly. So that was sort of a some, bring something creative to the table that doesn't give up anything from the Canadian side of things, but makes it makes it better and and, and recognizes that um, the U.S. you know this is a negotiation, so we have to bring something to the table. One of the arguments that's often brought out to to defend supply management, or at least argue against eliminating these barriers, is uh, the perception that the Americans subsidize uh, their dairy sector. And I mean, there's different versions of how much subsidy exists, but clearly there's some. Should should that matter to us? Well, from a, I mean, so it actually, it, you know, it matters. It, it matters if. You know, it matters to our producers, and um, like from you, you quoted Milton Friedman earlier. From 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 one from a pure economics perspective, and from a consumer perspective, it shouldn't matter that much. But if a country is subsidizing their industry and and it's hurting our industry, then I think there's a case for this, and and, and that's why we're having these kinds of negotiations. So, absolutely, the U.S. subsidizes their dairy. In the paper, we we compare subsidization rates because one way to think about the supply management system is that it, it is an indirect subsidy to agriculture, to dairy in Canada. And if if you kind of compare the magnitudes of these, you know, we subsidize our industry to the tune of about two and a half billion dollars a year, and the U.S. is more like about four billion dollars a year but it's a much bigger industry and so i I would say um you know it is a concern it's something that if we're going to open up our supply manager if we're going to open up our dairy sector then the u.s has to uh you know reduce its subsidies of its industry that would be part of our negotiations and also um it would be um again it, it is already on a sort of per per production level a little bit less, but it, it is there, and it's something that we would want to definitely pay attention to. Right, well, and, and yeah, going back to Milton Friedman, and when he was talking about Japanese steel at the time, you know, said, well, if the Japanese want to give us foreign yeah. aid, why would we say no? I mean, yeah. if the Americans yeah. want to give us cheap milk, why would we say no to that? Yeah, and again, I, I mean, I, I, I adhere to that um, to some extent, but if, if uh, I mean, there is a reason we have rules against uh, dumping and right. countervailing duties, and it, it, it is. If, if there was a, um, you know, if a foreign government was subsidizing an industry, and take steel. One of the reasons we're in this mess with steel is the way China was subsidizing and, and uh, oversupplying steel to the world market, and and you know, the, the U.S. angst in the steel file is really angst against China, but right now it's just misdirected and and, and incorrect because they're really hurting. Uh, well, they've excluded Canada and Mexico, but that tariff initially would have hurt Canada and Mexico, and the threat is still there, and it's going after uh, the EU. So Chinese exports or Chinese, uh, U.S. imports of Chinese steel is quite small. It's only about 6%, whereas Canada, uh, Mexico, EU, and Brazil are, are sort of the big suppliers to, US, uh, to the U.S. of steel. So, I mean, I agree with that economic concept, but in practice... You know, these trade agreements are about getting access for your producers to those markets. And, and to the extent that it could hurt our industry, we want to make sure it's, 
you know, there's some truth to the notion of a level playing field. We do want to make sure that it is a level playing field. And that's why, you know, Canada benefits from rules around that kind of behavior. We want to make sure that, uh, that, the, that the WTO is functioning properly. We want to uh, have rules because we're a small country. The U.S. right now is trying to play, is trying to not play by the rules and really be a bully on the, in the playground. And, and we, we kind of need to protect ourselves from that. And I guess the last question, and it's a big one, do we, do we compensate those who hold these quotas, those in the industry, if we're going to dismantle supply management? Uh, I argue, and we argue in the paper, that, that we should do that. Um, I think some would question that. Uh, but I, I think um, the, the argument for, for doing so is, first of all, there will be a transition. And, um, you know, there's no reason to throw the, the current producers under the bus. Some of them are going to have to close their doors. I mean, uh, the, the quota rates in B.C. are about $45,000 per cow. And, and I think in Quebec, they're about $25,000 per cow. So it's very expensive to get into the industry. Right. Um, but also these, the producers have invested in that and, uh, under the current system. So if we're going to change the system... I think we need to compensate them, and we need to help them transition out of it or transition to a more productive... I mean, what will will happen, and what we argue in the paper will happen, is that there will be some amalgamation, there will be some uh, uh, sort of growth of the producers. Uh, Some producers will close their doors, and I I, I mean, I think it's fair to compensate the ones that are affected, and if we're going to eliminate a... uh, uh, an asset like that out of out of the system, we need to compensate on that front. Well, people can read the report at policyschool.ca. Eugene, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for your interest. Take care. Eugene Bilot, he's a professor of economics at the University of Calgary, also with the School of Public Policy at the U of C. Saying, let's put it on the table. It's um, something the Americans uh, have been looking for us to address, and we would benefit from it too. 974-8255 is a number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.